This is episode number 78 with Steve Sims. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Once again, my name is Dave Brown, a real estate investor, lifestyle entrepreneur, and the co-host here, along with my partner, author, speaker, and gold star wife, Barbara Allen. And if you're a first-time listener, it's our goal each week to feature stories that will not only inspire you, but propel you into action in your own life. And today's guest is an expert in doing just that. Steve Sims started as a bricklayer in London, and today he's known as the real-life Wizard of Oz who makes the impossible possible. He's the master congier behind the magic of Bluefish, a mega high-end congier service, and once the best-kept secret to the ultra-wealthy, Steve's book Bluefishing has exploded his name through this country and to others as well. I personally discovered this book about six months ago, and it became an instant favorite of mine that I've shared with friends, family, and entrepreneurs who are looking to make big things happen. Now Steve's embracing his escalated fame with his own style and teaching others how less is more when it comes to building true success. In this episode, we get to know his business and the man behind the magic. Steve lets us in on what it's like to marry his best friend, how things are changing for him since the release of his book, and what he really thinks of the American dream. Now, without further ado, here is Barbara Allen and the real magic of life and success with Steve Sims. Hey there, welcome to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. There is a book out there, Blue Fishing, which is exploding, not just across this country, but has made its way to China too, which is freaking epic. Uh, and the author of Bluefish is exploding with it. Not that he hadn't before, but it seems like before maybe he was like, was the Wizard of Oz behind that curtain? And now everybody gets to see the wizard, you know, behind that curtain. Steve Sims has created a hugely successful, freaking cool business out of doing something that most people would never dream of creating a business out of. Simply put, he says he's the one who makes things happen, but it is much more than that. And he does it in such a fun, down-to-earth, like real style, and he is super approachable, which is how we got our hooks into him here for American Snippets today. Steve Sims, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we know that there are millions of people who are familiar with you and your story, somewhat of it, but uh, we're not sure too many in our community have made that leap yet. We are largely um, you know, military patriotic community, and I don't know that that community has had the experience of hearing from you yet. So we are excited to be on the forefront of bringing you into that community here as well. Um, so we would absolutely love to talk about blue fishing, and then we're going to go back and talk about some things that aren't in the book, because as many questions as your book answers about the business and the awesome ideas in it, for me, it, it's like it leaves questions like I want to know more, right? So I have more everything you talk about. I'm like, oh, I want to know more. How do you do this? Where do you find that? So, so we're going to go into that a bit, too. So let's, okay. start, let's start. How about give us your, your explanation of what blue fishing is? Um, well, Bluefishing comes from my concierge firm, Bluefish, and um, Bluefish was literally quite simply a password to get into our parties and clubs, so it meant nothing. Um, 
And then our clients would contact us and they would say things like, uh, I had a party at the weekend for my kid's birthday and I bluefished the hell out of it. Or I was, I was the master bluefisher. I made sure this thing went off the hook. And it became a verb. It became an action where people were taking something, going to a concert and managing to get backstage. You know, they, they were bluefishing the concert. And it just became this, this funny little term around the office that if they took it to another to another level, to another status, then uh, that that made them a bluefisher. And so it was yeah. funny to see something that meant nothing became an action term. That's awesome. My kids do that, but they do it annoyingly. They turn the word verse into a verb. Like, we're versing this team today. It makes me freaking insane. <laughs> I hate it. Bluefishing is way cooler than that. But they always pull that. But when it, when it happens successfully, that's great. And now you have – you literally have people like, in different countries – talking about about blue fishing and i know that you've been around yeah. and doing this for more than a year and a half right but do you think that you're exploding more in a year and a half and becoming more visible since the book is out oh totally um up until 2018 uh, up until october the 13th 2017 yeah. i was a big deal to maybe 200 people in the world but those people just happened to own things like um countries and banks (laughs) and things like that so all of my clients were literally not the rich and famous the richer and unknown they were the people that actually owned the studios they were the people that owned the buildings um towns quite openly cities um and so i was a big deal to them and nobody else knew who i was you know i would be in a party as a guest of theirs i'd have people come in and give me their keys thinking that i was like security or i was (laughs) a valet or something i'd be like Okay. Yeah, it didn't bother me. It, it really didn't. I never looked for the limelight. And um, then I got asked to do a book uh, exposing the rich people that I dealt with. Not going to do that. Otherwise, I'll be dead by cocktail hour. Yeah. Um, and then they said, well, look, you know, with the entrepreneurial growth, would you be interested, seeing as I'm a, a bricklayer from East London that's now doing this with Elon Musk and the Vatican, yeah. you know, would you care to show people how you're doing it rather than what you're doing? And as a father of three and as a disgruntled citizen uh, of this current uh, lifespan, I thought this gave me a, a platform. This gave me a soapbox to be able to moan about some of the things that I wasn't happy with. Um, and so I thought, yeah, I'll do the book. Um, and to be honest with you, when it came out on October the 13th, I had about 30 of my friends in uh, Hollywood here and we just got together, got drunk, uh, <laughs> celebrated the book coming out, thought that would be the end of it thought that, you know, I wanted people to get it. I wanted people to change the way they communicated. I wanted people to understand that relationships are everything. Yeah. Um, and so I thought if I can change one person, then my job's done. Uh, but I honestly thought that was it. I honestly thought this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, and I think the first, the first month I think I sold, it was something like about four or 500 copies. And I thought, oh, that's good. And I phoned up my publisher and I went, I sold 500 copies. And they were like, yeah, no, that's not good. And I was <laughs> like, ooh. And I think the following month it was like 1,000. And I'm thinking, well, I want the publishers to be happy. And then the following month it was like 14,000. And it just it exploded. And all of a sudden I got asked to do speeches and yeah. consulting programs. Um, and the whole thing just grew legs. Um and so it, it has knocked me sideways. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm still a couple of years later sitting here going, wow, are people really getting behind this? Because it is, as you said before we came on the air, 
It's simple. And yeah. bottom line of it is, it's probably there to annoy you because anyone with two cents of intelligence already knows this stuff. But you actually avoid doing it because you think there's a smarter opportunity or you think there's a, yeah. uh, if I buy this program for my computer for $10,000, that'll automate doing this. No, the basic principles will what work every single time. Yeah, so you said a couple of things there that I love and, and capture me. What I want to ask you more about you just, what did you say? You're a disgruntled citizen of this lifespan? Yeah, that was, uh, someone actually said that and it sounded <laughs> kind of cool. So I thought I'd throw it in there to try and, Try and make myself sound smarter, but yeah, in this in, in this timestamp, um, yeah. you know, it you can look around, and I'm sick of seeing the top of people's heads as their face are buried in the phone. Um, one thing that aggravates me are when two people are in a restaurant and they actually text each other. Oh, um, yeah. I've seen that before. Um, I feel the uh, the ability to have eye to eye connection um, yeah. is dying. And I believe that you can go on the Apple store today. You can download an app for anything from basically basic surgery to building a bridge. Um, but you can't download an app to build a relationship or to actually adequately communicate and connect with someone. And it's yeah. a dying trend. And the more we get into AI and, you know, talking fridges and Alexa and all these things, we're losing it. Yeah, but do you think that's also part of why blue fishing is taking off? Like, first, everybody kind of said, oh, my gosh, all these phones and these apps and all that crap. It's all so cool. But do you think people now are kind of, like, nostalgic and, and like, oh, yeah, I remember now. Like, you're you're kind of reawakening something that people, like, maybe my generation has, like, lost and wants to go back to even a little more. Or people from younger generations are, like, it's a completely novel approach to them because what do you mean? Like call somebody, write a letter, you know, like what is the stamp? Like that kind of thing. So maybe it's kind of, you know, just interesting to them, but like the country, well, I obviously a lot of countries, I think is, is hungry for that. I think we're feeling that disconnect and we're wanting it back. And maybe your book came along at a perfect time for this because there's a lot of people ourselves and our included who we're just like, oh, my God, thank you. It was like a beacon of hope. Like, yes, not everybody has forgotten how to speak and how to communicate and build relationships like that. So do you think maybe people are just like, do you think your book hit at the perfect time for this country in particular? I'm not quite sure if it's I don't know if it's the perfect time. Um, I think is the right time. Uh, I think we need to realize that if you walk into your bathroom and you look in the mirror you are going to be faced with the slowest evolving technology that we currently have today. Every other thing, whether it be a car, a coffee machine, everything else is, is growing at a technological rate way faster than we are. We walk past a bush and the bush rattles with a bird or a squirrel and we're on guard. You know, we're primitive individuals. Our, our desire is to connect, protect, love, relate, and we're losing those things. Um, and yeah, I think the book came out at, a, at an inadequate time um, to get people to go, well, hang on a minute. We are losing what we're primitively built to actually do. Yeah. So uh, we were super stoked to see that. What is something then you do? So you've built blue fishing into this gazillion dollar business, right? So what are some of the 
practices? Like, how were the first things you got when you did this unofficially for people, like from the club? Hey, I'm going to do this. And at a certain point, you just said, Hey, I'm sitting on something here and I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Like, what was that defining line there, you know, where you were like, hey, I would this love is what to I'm sit doing. here. I'd love to sit here and just go, yeah, yeah. Well, I built out a business plan and, you know, no, none of that happened. Right. Um, I started off as a doorman of a nightclub and I was letting affluent people into the nightclub. And as a guy that was going home and living on like 500 bucks a week, I wanted to be these guys because they were spending that amount of money on a bar tab each night. Yeah. Um, so if you want to be those guys, then you've got to hang around with those guys. And to hang around those guys, you've got to be of value. So as a guy working on the door, I knew where the parties were, the nightclubs were. And so I started looking after those people by becoming the oracle of where the best nights were. Um, and that's what started to get me into that system. And then they were like, well, I'm actually traveling overseas. Can you do this? And I'll be like, I know people there. Let me hook you. And before you knew it, my goal, my focus was to build up a Rolodex of successful, affluent, yet grounded. That mm -hmm. was the key. Grounded people that I could build up a relationship with and quite simply grow from, suck the information from them of what made them so special, why they were able to spend bar tabs like that and it not bother them. And so that's what, that's what I did. For about seven years, I was still going to interviews looking for a job, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was my wife that came to me and she said, look, every day you kind of get up, you take your earrings out, you put a suit on, you go and apply for a job, you come home, put your black t-shirt on and then throw a kick-ass party that, mate, that night and make five grand, you know? Here's our bank account. Shouldn't you kind of pay a little bit more attention to this? And it was her that made me realize that we actually had something, which was beautiful because when people build a company, the first thing they do is focus so much on, I need a good logo, mm -hmm. I need a good name, uh, I need to have a good font, I need to have a good website. We built a, we built a substance before we built a front storefront. Um, and in fact, here's, here's the thing. When we used to throw private parties and we used to throw these underground parties and we would send you the location of where it was and we would send you the password. And every time the party was, there was a different password. And one of the passwords was to finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. So you would literally walk up to the bouncer and just go, blue fish. And we'd say, <laughs> in you go. And so it, we never even had a name for our company. And then people started asking around, hey, do you know that bluefish party? Hey, do you know those bluefish people? Before you know it, we became bluefish. Awesome. Thank God for smart women, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, she's, uh, yeah, yeah, she's, uh, she's my girl. So did I see that you met her when you were 16? She was 16. I was she 17. Was 16. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. So she was 16. You were, and that was it. Like since then, it's been you two. It's my girl. That's yeah, she, yeah, absolutely everything. That's like, that's a gift. And maybe sometimes it feels like a curse, you know, all those marriage jokes, right? But largely, like, that's a gift and that's rare, right? To build something. Yeah. That long. I married, uh, I married my best friend. So I was very lucky. Yeah. Um, very fortunate. And of course, like all relationships, like everything, it's tough and you go through some, some crap and, you know, money. You know, people are sitting, sitting here now and seeing me walking down the red carpet with Elton John and seeing me on TV and stuff. 
they don't see the days that I was yeah. laid in bed and concerned that the power was going to be turned off tomorrow or, you know, not being able to eat mm-hmm. food for a couple of days. You know, we all go through that. That's the, that's the, the root of a, um, uh, entrepreneur, uh, yeah. until you kind of get up there a bit more. And even now you kind of wake up one day and you go, Oh my God, I've just taken on too much. I can chew. So the fact that I actually have her next to me to just kind of like every now and then just kick, kick me up the bum and just go, all right, get your head down get it sorted. You've done it before. Yeah. Get it done again. And so it's good to have that partner, best friend all wrapped into to one hot lady. Yeah. <laughs> it helps when they're hot. Um, yes, so, it does. <laughs> so maybe what would you say to, do you talk to people or do people come up to you and ask you like, Hey Steve, I want to do this, but my wife or my husband is against it and giving me a hard time. Like, do you think there's not necessarily destined to fail, but it's it's extra challenging for somebody who doesn't have a partner or spouse if they're opposed to it or if they don't understand that, hey, we're not going to count on this steady paycheck every week. One month, I'm going to kick ass. And then the next month, you know, we're eating ramen for a month until we catch back up. Like, And you have to have that person who is cool with that or what happens. Like, yeah, I've got to. Well, I've got two sides of the coin. Yeah. So I've got my concierge firm. The, the biggest hurdle is usually their heads. You see, we openly say in my company that we've never given anything to, uh, we've never given a client what they asked for. We've given them what they needed. Um, so we'll have a client come up and they wanted to meet the rock band journey. I won't quote anything that we haven't done. Um, right. We had a client come up and wanted to meet the rock band journey. Sounded quite boring. So what we did was he st- we stuck him on stage and he actually sang four tunes live with the entire group in front of a San Diego concert. So he's now deemed as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band journey. We had That's a client cool. that wanted to meet ZZ Top. So we got him a guitar lesson with ZZ Top. Um, we, we had a client that wanted to have a, um, an exclusive dinner reservation in Florence. We actually closed down an entire museum and uh, had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade him during dinner. And there was only six people. So the stuff that we've done has always been... Uh, in excess of what the clients ask for. The biggest hurdle they've usually had is their imagination. Now, on the flip side, I have stevedsims.com. There's my consulting program yep. and my my rant platform, should should I say. So um, you can go there and see videos of me where yep. I'm just questioning why people are doing things. And that's usually where the most resistance is. It's people that, hey, I want to do, and this this is the funny comment, I want to launch a successful business. Have you ever heard anyone say, I want to launch an unsuccessful business? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of funny how you get this kind of terminology, but it's all to do with the mindset. And so that's when it's a case of, okay, what's your structure? What's your infrastructure? And as an entrepreneur, the idea of it's my, my work life and my home life, that doesn't exist anymore. An entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you need to do the work on a Saturday at midnight you're doing the work and everyone needs to be on board. So it's a great deal of um, uh, getting the right mindset, educating them, uh, re-engineering their thought pattern to say, look, okay, I, I now don't have a support system. I am the support system. What am I capable of doing? Yeah, absolutely. I saw that ramp platform and I love it. And one of the things that I like was when you went off on, uh, you know, you challenged people to stop watching the news. And I was like, thank you. Cause we've been saying that forever. And that's actually a large part of why we started doing this. Cause we just got sick of hearing all the like doom and gloom out there. Like if you listen, if you get up in the morning to your point and you just turn on that 
crap and start listening to all those messages like these are how many people got killed and this is what this person said about that person our stock market sucks our country sucks we all suck like it's yeah it's awful right so i mean did you do you still not watch the news in the morning no i don't um it's uh it, again this is one of our primitive things yeah. if i if if i and this is a perfect example if i go on one of my speeches and i'm on stage and i say hey Everyone run out the back door. There's a bucket out there with a million dollars in it. Of the room, how many people do you think are going to run out the door? Okay. But if I stand up on that stage and I shout, fire, everyone's gone. You see, we move fastest with things that scare and alert us. That's why the news features only things that scare and alert us. And maybe at the end of it, it'll tell you a good story. But for that reason, I don't want to wake up every morning, pour my coffee, and then be bombarded for an hour of of only the downside of the world. Yeah. I want to wake up each morning with the optimism that, hey, there's good stuff. Because for every pile of bad that we're in, there's two piles of really good. And people are yeah. people are getting rid of diseases. People are, are, are adopting children. People are making successful businesses. Millionaires are being created on a daily basis by hard work that they've done. I want to hear about them. I want to hear yeah. about that to make me go, that could be me. That's a good story. Whoa, I'm pumped up. Can you imagine? I don't want to get on a rant now, but can That's you okay. imagine <laughs> yeah. if the news in the morning had like a, that version of a watershed? Okay. Yeah. Whereas before ten o'clock in the morning, only good news could be actually reflected. Oh, dream on that! Yeah. Can you imagine waking up <laughs> and if, going, "Hey, yeah. do you remember this flu virus? Yeah. Doesn't exist now because we've got a cure for it." And this family was reunited, and these people designed this thing that would help people that would uh, that could walk better. And I, it's 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 in, it's crazy. I saw something a little while ago about this little kid. And um, they had headphones and there was some some surgery done on the back of the neck with an implant that for the first time, this little child could hear her mum. Okay, you may have seen it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely. These eyes nearly fall out of this child's head as the mum speaks. And of course, like, I'm going to cry now. The (laughs) mum falls apart. And what bothered me was it was the nine o'clock news and this was a one minute segment mm-hmm. and being in LA, I know people get shot, but I don't want to hear about it every three seconds. And I certainly don't want to be watching a stupid car chase for half an hour. And I also believe that when people get in car chases, they're kind of waiting for the news helicopter. So they can get that five yes. minutes of fame. Yeah. So if we didn't give it to them, I, yeah, there you go. <laughs> We should have a we should have a watershed of just good news in the morning. We should, we should. But you see, you could tell that you actually believe it, and I and I love it. And that's one reason I think we're so drawn to the work you do and the message you have because you know we align with that. And it's awesome when you hear other people uh, who you know who subscribe to that line of thought because there's enough people out there telling us that we're idiots, you know, crazy. But you know, we found, we, yeah. we like to find our people too. So. What are some things then that you, did you replace watching the news with anything? Like, do you have a morning routine? You know, you always hear these successful people have, I have this morning routine at 5 a.m. I'm up and I'm doing this. Or do you just like, just (coughs) bang into every day and just let every day unfold as it unfolds? 
Well, I like to get up at 3.30 and do goat yoga while looking <laughs> over the mountaintops. Um, no, I roll out of bed. I, I drink coffee. Um, I put the radio on. Um, and I like uh, I like cable radio or satellite radio. Um, and the funny thing is I have, I have British uh, radio playing because, you know, I'm a British boy living in Los Angeles, but it's like 70s and 80s music. So it's all the stuff I, I kind of, yeah. you know, I'm used to hearing. So that's what I do. Pack the kids off to uh, school and then just check, check my emails to see what's going to excite and invigorate me for the day. But no, I won't have the news on. Um, I'll put it on at five o'clock uh, for you know a little bit just to see if there's anything going on. Um, there's actually apps you can download for your phone that will give you headlines only. Oh, and that's cool. if yeah, and so I have that. So if something pops up that there's been um, something going on in Paris, um, or there's been something, and again, it's always bad news, but it's yeah. alerts. Yeah. Um, and if you want to read more about it, you can tap on it and get into the story. So I have those. Uh, that's that that helps me kind of keep keep abreast of what's going on in the world without getting me down at the same time. Yeah, just get um, a snippet. Other than that, I just want to wake up each morning and just go, okay, what's going to excite me today? That's a great way to go. And there's a lot of people I laugh because I can already hear three thousand people in my life when I say things like that. So they're like, well, that doesn't work. You have to get up. You have to have a plan. Like, how can you mean you have to know that you're going to be at this job at nine and that's if I and uh, they just kind of shake their heads and laugh at it, but I think that is a I plan, love it. though. It, it is, think, yeah. To me, it is a plan, right? I think there's people. Yeah, who get think, up and get ready. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember someone explained it to me a while ago about being uh, being available for opportunity. And so, if someone comes to your house tomorrow and they've got a yellow car, okay, the following day you're going to be driving down the street. Everyone's going to have a yellow car, okay? That's because our eyes have now opened up to the potential of. This is a yellow car. When your eyes are open to opportunity, you wake up in the morning, you actually see opportunity everywhere like the yellow car. And so it is an invigorating way to go, okay, what am I going to grab today? What am I going to optimize? What am I going to get involved in that's going to excite? Awesome. So your kids, how old are they? Roughly teens? I got to 21, 19, and 13. Okay. So as even they were growing up or younger, so you're this blue fishing guy. You're the wizard. You make things happen, right? Is there like a bar that's set? Like, can you just give them a cake at uh, like Chuck E. Cheese and call it a day for their birthday? Or are they like, like, do they get, do they get a bluefish birthday? (laughs) I I would say they get a bluefish birthday, but um, not to what you're thinking. It's not like a sweet 16 with uh, LeBron James coming in and Beyonce <laughs> singing in the background. Um, but we don't like to, we, you know, they'll get a little, couple of little prezzies, but then we'll do something. Yeah. And it could be we're going to go to a skateboard park for the entire day mm-hmm. or we're going to um, go to New York for a weekend or we're going to go down to the beach or we're going to go camping. We try to create an experience and an emotion, um, but we try to make the emotion impactful without the monetary content. Yeah. And there's sadly too many people to go, oh, if I want to make this special, it has to cost me a million bucks. Now, a lot of the stuff that I've done has been incredibly um, pricey over the years because, hey, I'm a business and I do amazing over the top, closing down a museum in Florence. Ain't cheap. No, you know? I imagine um, not. But me and my wife, you know, the idea of get, us getting a picnic rug and going up to a hill and just having a picnic and a little radio and just sitting there and just taking a time out for a few hours, yeah. that stuff's impactful. So um, I think for many years, 
And it's kind of been funny. For many years, and it's like all parents, when you've got kids, no matter what you're special at, the kids will keep you grounded. Mm-hmm. And the, the kids are like, what does dad do? Where's he going now? <laughs> he does what? Because the bottom line of it is I am I am an uneducated um, East London bricklayer. Um, I'm educated now, but I'm aware that school had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and I've just I've just grown up making a series of mistakes that I've learned from and grown from. And they they've now seen this book come out, which they found hilarious. And as you <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, it's now just hit bestseller in China. Um, and yeah. they're like, we can't believe it. And occasionally it's happened a few times. I was at a New York restaurant. I got this guy come over and introduce himself to me. He'd read my book. Um, we were in a party the other week, same thing with the family. I was doing a walking tour, an art walking tour down in LA the other day. And, uh, an artist come out that apparently bought the book and run over and wanted to get his selfie taken. Yeah. And my kids are like, what is going on? That's dad. So <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> It is weird, but it's cool, right? And it's fun, I think, when your kids get to see something about like when you get to have your child actually see what you do, you can tell them what you do and all that. But when they get to see the impact that you have or like your work, what you're doing with your work and your life actually matters and it makes a difference. It's not all fun. Like you get to see the real life reaction of people. Isn't that cool? Like they're like, man, my dad, it is good. My dad's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that'd go that far, but uh, <laughs> I think I think with school today, um, and I'm not going to go off on this, but I think with yeah. such a broken system, which is school, and yeah. the fact that they're still teaching things now today that you will never ever ever use, it's um, maddening. Yeah, yeah, for the kids to come home and actually look like they're at school for like five hours, being taught that they've got to fill inside the box. Otherwise, they won't get to the next grade. Right. They come home and they see dad, you know, sitting on a sun lounger with a whiskey in his hand, talking to <laughs> Taiwan, closing a deal for half a million dollars. And they're like, how can this be? You know, he's got to have a suit on and work in an office. Yeah. So I think it's important to help the kids realize that there are so many other alternatives out there. Yeah. And super important now. I mean, you see people coming out of school with hundreds of thousands in debt and Ugh. How many people, if you take a poll, right, how many people actually are employed in the career that they have their degree in? And it's like shockingly low numbers. Like if you're in a room and you ask people that, there's going to be a small number of hands go up because so many people are like, they get this career, they get this degree, they start this job and then they're like, it, no, you know, and they just veer off into something else. And so, but you're still paying all that student debt. Yeah, that's saddled with all that debt. Yeah. And more, more disastrously, they come from an Ivy League college and the following day they're serving me a cappuccino at Starbucks. Yep. It's just, it's just, it's mortifying. Yeah, it is. So I, I like this message that your book has for that reason as well. And I tossed it out to my kids who simply for the fact, I think that I suggested it are like, okay, mom, you know, but, um, I'm going to try to find something, someone that maybe they listen to a little more or think is a little, oh, cool, the, a little cooler cool than un- me. Yeah. So have you ever heard of the uh, cool uncle syndrome? <laughs> no, share, please. I, yeah, I think so- I'm in the uncool syndrome, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you always will be to your kids. Yeah. Um, so the idea is you turn around to your kids. It's it's literally it's literally happening this moment. So my <laughs> son's 21 years old. I was trying to talk to him about uh, different business design and 
questioning your future. He's in college, the exact situation mm-hmm. you're talking about, questioning what he's doing and whether he'll get in anywhere. So I'm trying to help him, but you're dad. Okay. So I spoke to one of my buddies that shares a similar voice to me who phones the home when I'm not there. Sweet. He knows I'm not there. Yeah. Speaks to my son, starts chatting with him, sends him his book. So my son's never read my book, but he's sitting in the corner reading <laughs> Brian's book and learning all of this stuff. And it's just hilarious, but it's the call uncle syndrome. You want yeah. your kids to listen, give that book. To someone that one of your kids thinks is cool, to just go, hey, Bobby, have you read this? This is, and they're going to be like, no, I want to read it because you're the cool uncle. They yeah. will actually read it. So I know. I'm, I'm accepting good. applications for the cool person to be that person, <laughs> but it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a process. I have to pick the right person, or it tanks twice, and then they're never going to yeah. read it. But it is cool, and it's fun when you get to see your kids' eyes open up and they see new things, and you're like. You know, maybe they're not going to get into that rut of just misery that so many people my age are waking up and like, man, like my life kind of sucks. So there's yeah. a couple things I, I also want to ask you about. I want to spend a minute here because I found a little bit. It's like I don't you're or you have an organization or a nonprofit, Blue Cause, but oh, I don't know yeah. if it's like in the witness protection or something. Cause I can't find so much on it, but I think it's one of those, th- those things that probably I maybe just don't need it out there so much. Cause it looks like what you do is on such a huge level, but can you talk to about that? Because one thing we like really, really love and believe in is that, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness and all that, but you also have a responsibility to give back and to, to do something yeah. positive and, you know, and impactful with your success. And blue cause looks like one of the ways that, that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, or not. Oh God, it's the biggest, <laughs> okay. it's the biggest pain in the ass. Um, I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what you're right. Absolutely. Everything yeah. you just said is on the button. When you start looking after yourself or like they say on the airline, when the plane goes down, put your air mask on first and then help others right. in business. When your air mask is securely on, your responsibility is to look to those to the left and right and help those. Um, we launched a company called, um, or a foundation called Blue Cause, I think maybe nine years ago. And it was yeah. just coming up to the recession, the big recession we had like seven or something. Yeah. A lot of people were abusing foundations for tax evasion. Yeah. Um, and so any, it's, it's daft. If you go and, if I go and mug someone, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll get six months in jail. Maybe I'll get a smack on the hand or something like that. But if I mug a charity, then I'm going to jail. So the, the, uh, uh, the danger of foundations or the penalties of, of abusing foundations are far in excess of anything else. Yeah. And we got caught up in that, which meant that <coughs> there was so much red tape. And this is the downside about the U.S. and Western Europe um, foundations and charities there's so much red tape to make sure you're not abusing it yeah that those foundations that actually make no money on it are squirming because they can't do anything because they have to do it they get this donation come in they have to state where it comes in from who did it and they have to announce they have to report to the authorities where it came in then they have to report after 30 days where it's gone where it's been it's a nightmare so we launched Blue Cause with the sole idea that we were going to help as many people as we actually could. Okay. Uh-huh. And then it became troublesome because as that money would come in, we found that this became a really 
a time sensitive, a time intensive business. So we tweaked it. Now what we do is we get behind foundations and charities, and then we go out and market and promote and uh, generate income that is paid directly oh, okay. to cool. the foundation. Now, as, as long as no money, as long as no cent, and in fact, mm-hmm. Blue Course doesn't even have a bank account, as long as no money ever comes into our pocket, we have no reporting to do because it's a direct donation from the person into the charity. They get the tax break. They get the money. And so Blue Course has become a conduit to working with foundations and causes that we love and support. So it's still alive. Yeah. Um, but uh, we try to, and like anything that I've spoken to you about, whether it be um, a journey or whether it be like journey, let me give you the example there. Journey's drummer's son has autism. Yeah. And it's a great uh, uh, advocate for autism speaks. So when we actually did the putting our client on stage with autism, we arranged that all of it was to be generating a, a donation for Autism Speaks. Awesome. So yeah. I look great because I'm the Wizard of Oz. I got him on stage with Journey. <laughs> Journey looks great because they've got a fan on stage singing with them. The client's over the moon, but Autism Speaks benefited. And when I work with uh, Elton John for the Oscars and for the Oscar party, it looks after Elton John's AIDS Foundation. So again, cool. another foundation yep. that's, that's curing a lifestyle disease. So Blue Cause is our conduit to making good things happen. Cool. So do organizations, like, do you just know the organizations or see the ones, like, or do you have organizations approach you or do you, are, like, are you, you already a, set and you're like, these are the causes these are, and your life just kind of leads you to those organizations? They kind of lead us. Um, yeah. I think everything from, from, um, Child sex trafficking, cancer, uh, AIDS, autism, uh, special needs education. It's just my wife will be a big advocate. She'll come in and she'll be like, I saw this, we're doing this. And so all of a sudden we'll be looking after a dog kennel. Um, and then, uh, you know, just it's just good to do things. I, th- I think there's a lot of people out there, and I would like to argue with your statement. Uh, there's too okay. many people out there that try to – pinpoint things that I'm going to support this and I'm going to support this. I'm going to support, just yeah. support, yeah. you know, and one month it's not going to, ki- it's, well, I was going to say it's not going to kill anyone. Maybe I shouldn't use that term. It's not <laughs> a bad thing to just vary who you're helping. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like investing, you know, if you invest in, in, in stocks, some of them will do well, some of them, you know, won't do very well, but every now and then you'll get one that suddenly goes out crazy. You don't know if on that particular day that charity needed just that extra hundred bucks and you were the reason it kept his lights on on the following day, it got a big donor and went through the roof. So try to try to pepper it out as far and as wide as you can rather than sinking everything just into one cause. Yeah. You said dog kennel and I got to ask because I'm a dog person too. How many, you have dogs. Do you have like four dogs? sadly one of them just passed away oh, about four i'm months asking ago, all so. the great questions all <laughs> oh, the good ones yeah so um, tell me about your dog yeah. that just died so we yeah. Have, yeah yeah lovely um so yeah so we got uh we got adopted dogs um awesome. we went in to get a friend for the one that, that that's passed away and we couldn't decide on which one to get so we kind of got all of them so we walked out with three dogs within a six-month period I've had that happen. I turned around one time. I had six dogs. I'm like, what the hell? Um, that's a lot of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how uh, it's amazing how crazy it can be. 
Um, how do, how do you have uh, like no fur on your black shirt right now? I think, well, for start, the shirt was in here. Um, okay. So that's maybe, <laughs> maybe helps that. But uh, yeah, we got a tiny, we got a tiny little chihuahua. Uh, right. We've got this, um, uh, this massive old English bulldog and we've got a huge pit bull bull mastiff. Um, that's gray with a big white chest and always walks around looking very proud and then falls over and sleeps. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're, they're totally pathetic dogs as they should be. Um, but that's what we got. Cool. So here's another question that I was curious about in your book and I know I'm jumping all around, but that's where we're going. How did you wind up even deciding to come to America? You know, you're British born or, you know, you're born. Um, I just, I'm not quite sure of how did I decide. I just, as, as an entrepreneur, we usually realize where we don't fit more than where we do fit. And when I was in England, I was questioning all my friends were poor. We'd all hang around in a pub each night. And I thought, is this really my life? So I ended up actually applying for a job and getting it in Hong Kong. Yeah. And the reason for that was because I couldn't think of anywhere further from London than Hong Kong. <laughs> so that was the intelligence. So I ended up working in Hong Kong for a bit, moved out of Bangkok because uh, it was a cheaper, uh, cheaper existence. Um, started making money, moved to Switzerland. Um, Switzerland's very beautiful, but it gets very, very cold. Um, so moved over to Palm Beach because I'd seen the postcards. Uh, and by this time I had clients in Palm Beach and those areas. Okay. Um, and, uh, the postcards look great, but the humidity's a killer. Um, <laughs> and so literally sat there going, well, we want somewhere where it's got this sunshine, but it hasn't got the humidity and poof, California popped up. So we literally just bounced around just trying to find some, we've now been in, uh, um, Cali for, uh, 10 uh, 11 years. So we, we're, we're quite set here. And I'm a motorcycle boy. So yeah. every day of the year, I could basically be on two wheels. So I'm happy there. Nice. So what do you think? I, I like that too. And I always try to pull out little messages from you. So even that, right, you get people who are on their path and trying to find one way and they move, right? Like how many people would move and they're like, okay, well, I move. So now I have to make it work here, right? Like, what is the value of just saying, you know what, this place isn't working. So we're going, we're just going to go to another place until you find the place that works, right? Is, do you think that holds people back thinking, well, I went to all this trouble. I told everybody I was moving out here. And now if I don't make it here, they're all going to laugh at me. I'm going to look like an idiot. So I have to say, did you think like stubbornness and like fear of false perceptions keeps would keep people rooted in that one place just because they, they said they were going to move there and make it happen. So they feel like I got to stay. So I'm going to answer that with a very horrific story. Oh, please do. Uh, <laughs> I was walking through a shopping mall in an area called Glendale, just outside of yep. LA. And I'm with my wife and in front of me were two guys. And in front of, of them was probably one of the largest women I'd ever seen. She was, she was a, a ball um, of a lady, very, very large. But the most outstanding thing about this woman was that she had come out of, I think it was like a Target shop or something, and on each one of her arms at 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock, and for some reason out wide of herself yeah. were these shopping bags, and they were just like spread across the top of her arms. And I couldn't get over thinking, the upper body strength of that woman 
to be able to hold your arms out yeah. like that, nine and three. Now, of course, she's waddling like this. So it was a real cartoon picture, okay? Okay. Don't want to offend anyone, but I'll get to the point. Okay. So she's waddling <laughs> like this, and I'm thinking there's many things. One, you know, upper body strength. Two, the way her arms were, she wasn't making it easy, easy for people to get past her. So there was a number of things going through my head that was causing me to stare at this woman. She tripped and went down. Oof. Now, this lady's a big lady. That lady normally going down would not be good in any case. Now imagine that her arms are We're left out. and right of yeah. her. She went down on the side of her face, and it literally sounded like a lump of meat just hitting the deck. Okay? There was no way she could stop herself. No way she could brace herself. Now... Thankfully, the two guys in front of me tried to get her. There was no stopping this woman going down. I got in there just as she was, you know, finally landing down. Um, they tried to kind of like roll her over. Now, again, with someone that large, you want to be careful about how you move her because she literally just went down like a tree. Okay. Um, we pulled her bags in so that they were kind of like sat between her legs so she wasn't losing, so no one could run off with a bag or something like that. And she started to come to... And she started to prairie dog. She started to look around her like crazy. And there was me and these other two guys. And we said, look, you know, have you lost a bag? All your bags are here. Don't worry. But have you lost something? You know, has something gone somewhere? And she turned around and she said, no, no, no. She said, I just want to make sure no one's videoing it. Uh, now, this woman, wow. the, 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 uh, the, the um, I don't know if they were paramedics or just uh, um, nurses or what from the shopping mall. So all of a sudden, a medical team came in and started looking after her. They asked us to all back off. So we went along with our day. There's no way in the world that woman didn't wake up in the morning, at minimum with a bruise. Right. Maybe something had broken because she was a very large, overweight woman. It wasn't her healthiest time, I'm sure. Um, but all she cared about was people laughing at her. Now, today, how many times do you see something happen? And then the first thing that happens is you see this. Yep. People are videoing it. They're not helping. Nope. They're videoing. People today's greatest fear, <coughs> sadly, is not failing. It's people seeing them fail. Yep. And that's where the problem is. I think people need to um, just do it. Stop being so embarrassed. Stop being scared. And stop being scared of people seeing them do it. I'm my biggest fear is not failing. It's actually not. Com it's not uh, uh, failing repetitively, because yeah. quite often the failures provide you an answer that creates the greatest growth. And if you're going to be fighting to move somewhere, because everyone else who is stuck in that rut will laugh at you then I'm not questioning whether or not you should move. I'm questioning whether or not those people should be in your life. But that was a interesting way to come around to that point, but it was great. <laughs> it got there eventually. It, it did get there, and I love it. I love that people, you know, you tied that all in. That is a crazy story, and I'm wondering, like, as you're telling it, I'm like, what is even going to happen? It actually just makes me sad for that woman that I never met. Yep. That that's Like, that was her fear. That's terrible and then i'm wondering like how many have i done that like so brings up a lot that was that was killer so i gotta ask you now you've met a ton of people everywhere right if there a was a couple you know a few people right uh if there was is there anybody in this planet that you haven't met that you still would like to meet 
Like if I got off here right now and sent somebody over to your house to hang out with you that you have not met before, who would that be? Yep. Uh, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. So I got, um, she was also my lesson. Um, I was working uh, for the polo organization. Um, Very strangely, but they asked me to help them. (laughs) So I was working with a, a polo organization. Then I ended up working for the British polo team. And I had the chance, I'd been invited over to a reception to meet Margaret Thatcher. Now, growing up in the 70s, the Iron Lady, you know, she was, she was the, you know, forget the political views, because at, at my age, I didn't even know what they were. But this woman was tough. Yeah. And I've always grown up loving tough characters. And this girl was it. And she deserved the name, the Iron Lady. And so the chance to meet her, I was like, oh, yeah, but I had the chance of another event that I could work on. Uh-uh. So I went for that event and I didn't actually go over and meet her. And then she died like about seven months later. So part of me regrets the fact that I never met her. Yeah. Part of me is happy that I never met her because she will always be the Iron Lady in my eyes and she won't be the frailer older yeah, lady yeah. that she actually became. Um, but I would have said that if there was someone I could have met that I haven't, it would have been to have a cup of tea and a chat with, uh, with the Iron Lady. Awesome. So what about somebody who is still alive? Somebody that you could physically meet? God, you know, I've I've met, I I think, I think everybody is the answer and it's probably not the answer you want. You see, I get to go (laughs) so many, I get to go to so many award shows that I meet, you know, Steven Tyler and Elton John and, you know, Sheeran and, and Beyonce. I get, I get to meet all of those. And then I get to meet the rock star business people, the, the Elon Musk and the Richard Branson. I get to meet that crowd. Um, and I get to meet, you know, David LaChapelle, the, you know, the, an artist. I get to meet all of these people. I also get to meet heads of states and things. So I'm constantly being challenged or being provided with different perspectives. And that's really, really good. Part of the problem, and my wife often says this, part of the problem would be if I ever sold Bluefish, what would give me the excuse to get into other people's sandpit? And that, that I think, sadly, she's right. You know, we're not, we're not doing this for the money now. Um, But I get really excited when I've got to go to the White House. Or like, I actually spoke, there's an, there's a phenomenal uh, foundation out there and group called American Dream You. Have you yes, come across them? I have. Phil Van Dazzo. Yes. Yep. yep, my boy Phil. So Phil took me and I spoke with him and a bunch of other entrepreneurs at different sites uh, throughout the US. And then we ended up speaking at the Pentagon. I saw The that. only time they ever did it, I spoke at the Pentagon. Under what circumstance <laughs> would that bricklayer from East London ever have been given the opportunity to speak in front of uh, three-star generals in the Pentagon. There's there's no way yeah. that you could have gone to college and gone, well, you're not going to do this, and then I'm going to be in the Pentagon. It wouldn't have happened. So it, this is uh, – Bluefish has now become my excuse to actually meet interesting people. So you say who's out there that I haven't met? Probably a load of people, but I'm sure over the next couple of years I'm going to meet them. Because if meet I want to meet them, I'm going to meet them. Nice. What did you speak about at the Pentagon? Like what um, <laughs> it was uh, it was colorful, um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was predominantly working, getting the job done without the informational resources, um, which I find is a common theme within the military that you have to get the job done, but you probably haven't got the budget, haven't got all the information 
um, yet you've still got to get the job done. So it was the responsibility. And these people were transitioning into civilian life. And I was actually... I was actually saying about how they were not going to be very successful because they had these horrible habits like being on time, being responsible for the task, <laughs> getting the work done, and how if they're expecting to come out and fit in, I was arguing it saying that you shouldn't because you're already ahead of the curve. And that was my my point. That's super interesting as well. All right, so we're going to ask the <laughs> question. That we, I mean, I could go on there, right? That just opens up a whole new can that... Um, I'd have to chug with you to, to, to talk about, to have the time to talk about. So um, we talk a lot here. Interesting. You said American Dream You because what we focus on at American Snippets is the American Dream, right? Like we just, we defend it. We got, it, it was hard for me, right? Because my husband died in the military and then I'm living this life where everybody's talking about what a shitty country we have. And I'm, that's part of what drove me. I'm like, that's not what he died for, right? Like, if that's true, and I knew there had to be more. So that's when we yep. sort of evolved and we're like, no, we believe the American dream is alive. We believe that sacrifice meant something, and we're going to make something of that sacrifice, of which is the American dream. So what we like to ask, because I'm so curious what people think, especially from you, not American-born, but now you live here, do you have your own concept or thoughts on like, what the American dream is? Wow. Um, I do. And it's probably a fairy book version. And I'm quite happy to uh, um, push hard to make that fairy book come true. Um, I like the fact that they represent equality. To me, it's support. Uh, Coming from the UK and living in Asia, you've got different class structures. Um, And certain classes can't get above each other because of their hereditary birth or their religion. And especially in the UK, we love to promote people up to the top and then we like to push them off their pedestal. Um, <laughs> we're quite sick in the UK. Um, <laughs> but in, uh, in America, you have a voice and you have a hand. And I noticed that there's a lot of people out there that love, love to chant for any bloody reason. Yeah. But from what I've seen, from the America that I've seen, there are people that like to put a hand out and say, let me get you up here, boy. And that to me is the American, to, to me, the American dream is that hand. Love it. Love it. That was another well put answer. So it's always interesting to see what people say to that. And that was, um, that one will go in our little clip section there. So Steve Sims, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with us, for letting me come play in your sandbox here for a little bit. Um, <laughs> this is my conduit to do that, because on what planet would I ever be able to bring up Steve Sims and just sit down and chat with them for an hour, right? So that's pretty awesome. Uh, tell people, again, who may not know where they can find out more about you and about your book and about your work. I will, but I've got to give a big shout out to our mutual friend, Max. Yeah. Um, Max is out there, boy. You know, love you. Good luck with the movie and everything. Um, so if you want to get hold of me, I'm at stevedsims.com. That's S-I-M-S. Or if you've got a cell phone in the U.S., you can actually text the word SIMS, S-I-M-S, to 345-345. You'll get not only a PDF um, cheat sheet on the book, you'll also get one of my favorite videos is, and you referred to it earlier, the yeah. chug test. Yep. The chug test is awesome. And we, we, we didn't realize we were doing that. We didn't know there was a name for it. That's just how we roll. I'm like, now see, there's a name for it. We're not just crazy. Yeah. The chug test, go ahead and give it. Now we got to have a quick explanation before we leave people hanging. 
Uh, the Chet <laughs> test is a great way of auditing your circle. It's a very simple, powerful way to work out whether or not people should be in your life. Perfect. Um, all right, so I'm going to go out there and say, here's his book. I'll throw it up. I know on the podcast you won't see it, but on YouTube you will. I'm going to say anybody who listened to this episode, likes it, wants to give a shout out to Steve and tell him that and leave a review on our podcast. I'm going to get you a copy of this book and I'm going to mail it directly to you. I'll do that for the first 10 people who go ahead and leave a review because I absolutely, I genuinely do love this book. Plus, uh, maybe he'll make like another, you know, three bucks off the royalties and <laughs> then we'll be up to six bucks and then we'll, we'll be adding more value to Steve Sims life. So thank you. <laughs> thank you again, Steve, for taking the time to be with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Stippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I'd also personally like to thank Steve Sims for being here as well. Hey, if you want to get a copy of Steve's book, Blue Fishing, we are offering a review contest. So the first 10 people that leave a review on iTunes and take a screenshot of that review and post it on social media will get a copy of Steve's Blue Fishing book. So you can use that, take that screenshot uh, and post it on Instagram or Facebook. Tag us at American Snippets and you will be in the running to receive a free copy of Steve's book, Blue Fishing. If you want to learn more about Steve and his story, check out the featured article that we did on Steve Sims. You can do that at americansnippets.com. It's a featured article, or americansnippets.com forward slash 078. We have a great article there. You can watch the full video interview that we did, and we'll provide some links as well that you can use to follow him on social media. Check out his website and all the cool things that he is doing. Um, one last thing, again, if you want to win that a copy of Steve's book, Blue Fishing, leave us a review, uh, take a screenshot of it, tag us in social media, at American Snippets. And again, reviews are a really important piece of what we're doing here. It gets our message out there. It gets our guest stories out there in front of more listeners. So we would really appreciate if you could leave us a review. If you don't have iTunes, you can catch us on Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, CastBox, well, we're out there, so leave us a review, tell a friend what we're doing here, and we would greatly appreciate it. Again, thanks for tuning in. Now go out there, make things happen, and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next time. 